we've been talking about um, some of the stories that Jesus told. Jesus was a very famous storyteller, told lots and lots of stories. And so we've been looking at those for the first uh, couple weeks. This is our third week looking at some of the stories that Jesus told, and then we'll look at them for a few more weeks. Um, and tonight, we'll look at one of his most famous stories. And as I was thinking about this and, and this story, I'm going to move this just for a second here so that those people don't feel left out. Um, but one of the things, you know, we think about what would make, what would make our life better if you just kind of imagine, hey, what would make my life better? Um, whether, you, whether you really don't like your life or even if you love your life, just what would make it better? And there's all sorts of things, I'm sure, that, that would make life better. But, but one of the things I was thinking about as I was working on this is that I think probably all of us would say that if I could be a more loving person, life would be better. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know of any of you, I, I, this isn't true for me, so if it's true for you, may, maybe so, but most people, if you asked them, hey, would you like to be a more loving person? Most people would say, well, yeah, of course I'd like to be a more loving person. And, and really, if you think about what would make your life better, if you were a more loving person, I mean, that would make your relationships better, it would make other people like you more, it would, you, you're able to handle difficulty more when you're a more loving person. There, I mean, there's all sorts of things that if, man, if I was a more loving person, wouldn't, wouldn't, that change, wouldn't that change the quality of my life? Wouldn't it improve the quality of my life? I mean, I think that's something. I mean, again, there's a lot of things that could make life better, but, but if we could become more loving people, I think that would make life a lot better for both us and the people around us. And the story that Jesus tells tonight is a story about that. It's a story about what's missing in our love. What, I mean, if we want to become more loving people, what's missing right now in the way that we love other people? What's missing in our love? And, and what would it take for us to become more loving people? What, what would that actually take? What, what kinds of things? And so the story that we look at is the story of the Good Samaritan, which is Again, one of the most, I, I think really it's probably the most popular or most famous story that Jesus has told. You got hospitals named after the Good Samaritan. Many states have Good Samaritan laws where if you see someone, you are required actually to help them in different capacities. Um, it's just worked itself into the normal vocabulary, normal language of, oh, that person's a, a Good Samaritan, right? I mean, this is one of the most famous, if not the most famous uh, story that Jesus ever told. And, and the way that we normally think about that story, even if you just kind of have a picture of that story in your mind right now, what's the story about and what happens in the story and what's the point of the story? And usually how we think about it, and I was just, because it is still a very popular idea, I was just looking through news articles this week and looking through um, just kind of things that had shown up on Twitter about Good Samaritan. And here's just some things. And this is, I think, how we normally think of the idea of a Good Samaritan. Uh, this is, you probably can't read this, so I'll just read you down at the bottom. It says, shout, shout out to uh, Hoosier Helper Handyman for assisting an old uh, Cincy couple get back on the road. Pound Good Samaritan. Okay, so just somebody helped somebody. They were struggling on the side of the road. Hashtag Good Samaritan, right? This is Channing Tatum, um, and he lost his bag, apparently, and he went on Twitter and said, hey, I need help finding my bag, and Twitter helps Channing Tatum track down bag. Hashtag Good Samaritan, hashtag New York Taxi, karma, act of kindness, right? So Channing Tatum, some Good Samaritan people helped him. I'm a Good Samaritan for showing his picture, okay? What else do we have? This guy, uh, the Good Samaritan who pulled a driver from an SUV dangling on a cliff, shares his story. So he pulled this guy, 
And I don't, I don't know if you can see this guy's face, but it's just kind of funny. He just is like, <laughs> I, I think I'd be a lot more terrified if someone was pulling me out of the car. Uh, this one is just, you know, a little, so it can be someone dragging someone out of a car and saving their life. It can be small things. Caught a t-shirt at the game and gave it to a little girl sitting next to me. Hashtag Good Samaritan. They're, you know, they're claiming it for themselves, which is a little weird, but, <laughs> but still. Uh, when the McDonald's guy puts a little extra Big Mac sauce on your burger. Hashtag MVP, hashtag Good Samaritan. And someone even retweeted that one, which is great, right? And then this is the last one. I gave the Jimmy John's guy a tip and a cig. Hashtag Good Samaritan. Good day, right? So we're talking about love. And when we think about the Good Samaritan, it's usually kind of thought of in those kinds of terms. It can be saving someone's life you're pulling out of the car. It can be just giving your t-shirt to the, the girl, the little girl at the game. It's just those types of things. But here's, here's the thing. This is one of the most profound stories that Jesus ever told about love and what it looks like to become a more loving person. And yet if we understand it, primarily in the terms that I just kind of showed, primarily in how it's usually thought of, it really takes away a lot of the power of the story. See, if we understand the story, just how, and I'm not saying it doesn't apply to how all of the, the news articles and things were on there, but if that's how we primarily understand it, we really miss the whole point of the story. If that's how we understand it, if that's what we think the, the purpose, the intent of the Good Samaritan was, was those things, then we really miss most of what Jesus was trying to teach in the parable to begin with. Most of what he was trying to communicate. It really empties of, it, of its power, and yet that's how it's most commonly understood. One of, one of the greatest questions that any of us in this room could ask is, how can I become a more loving person? I mean, that's one of the most greatest, I mean, that's one of the greatest questions that we could ever ask is how can I become more loving? Because, I mean, that, that means and that leads to so many other things, right? How can I become a more loving person? And the story that Jesus tells, it shows us a few things about love that are really important. It shows us really what our greatest obstacle is to becoming more loving It shows us what love actually looks like, and then it shows how it is that we actually become more loving. So so this is what we're going to talk about. So first, what's the greatest obstacle to our love? And if you think about it, even just for your own life, we'll get into the story here, but if if you think about your life, what's the greatest obstacle for you to, to love the people around you? So if you're married, I mean, what is it that really gets in the way of you being a more selfless spouse? What gets in the way of you being, if, you're, if you have friends, what gets in the way of you being a better friend? What gets in the way of you really caring for even strangers? What, what gets in the way of you being selfless? What gets in the way of you serving other people? What gets in the way of you having deep friendships and not shallow friendships? What, what is it? that gets in the way? What, what's the greatest obstacle to becoming a more loving person? Well, as we look at this, here's what, here's what happens in the story. And this is how the story begins. And many people don't even know this part of the story, but this is how the story, this is why Jesus actually told the story, is because of this interaction he has with a lawyer. 
And the, it's not the kind of lawyer that we have today. Um, it was a lawyer meaning uh, someone that was an expert in the law of the Bible, the Old Testament. And here's what happens. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, this is Jesus, he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So here, here's what happens. This guy comes up to Jesus, okay, and he's an, he's an expert on the Old Testament. He comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And that doesn't just mean go to heaven, okay? That's a piece of it, but it means what do I need to do to be right with God? What do I need to do to be acceptable to God? What do I need to do to, to have life with God, to be found favorable in his sight? What do I need to do to do that? And it says he's asking the question to put Jesus to the test, okay? So he's trying to say, okay, look, I, I know this. Do you? What do I need to do? And Jesus turns it back around on him and says, well, you're, you know, you're the expert. How do you read it? What do you see? And he says, well, here's what I see. I see that we're supposed to love God with every part of our being, and we're supposed to love other people the same way with as much vigor and passion that we love ourselves. And Jesus says, yep, so go ahead and go do that. So imagine yourself in that situation. Imagine yourself in a situation where you ask Jesus, what do I need to do to be right before God? And Jesus says, what do you think it is? And you say, love God with everything I am and love other people. So in that moment when Jesus says, yep, that's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. There's really one of two responses you can have. One of the responses is that you go, oh, right? Because, I mean, how's it going at loving God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind? And, and how's it going with loving other people with the same passion and vigor that you love yourself? See, one of the responses to that that's the accurate response is to go, whoa, that's what I need to do? I need to do that? I need to, I need to love God with every ounce and I need to love other people the same way that I love myself? I mean, so Jesus says, yeah, that's it. Yeah, go ahead. If you do that, then you're right with God. But, I mean, again, how are we really doing at that? I, don't, I would not want to stand before God and say, I've done that. Done. Would you? The other way to respond is how he responded. Because see, he feels the weight of this. 
this guy in this moment feels the weight of this because it says, he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do that and you will live. And it says, but he, desiring to justify himself. So he, Jesus asks him this question. Jesus says, how do you read it? And he says, well, I'm supposed to love everybody. Okay, great. And you can respond to that by saying, God, help me. If that's the answer, if that's how I'm acceptable to God, God, help me. Because I don't do that. But he feels the weight of the question. He feels the weight of it. And and what does he want to do? He wants to justify himself. Because he feels the weight of it. I mean, the command is love God with every ounce inside of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love other people as much as you love yourself. That should make us go, whoa, I'm not doing that. I need help. And he feels the weight of that, but then he wants to wiggle out from under it. Do you see that? It says he desired to justify himself, to get out from underneath that pressure to defend himself. So here's the first thing we see. The greatest obstacle to our love, what most keeps us from becoming loving people, is saying that we're already there. That's what this guy does. He tries, he he asks Jesus a follow-up question, and who is my neighbor? But he asks the question to justify himself. It does not say, he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. And because this man was so loving, he said, thank you, Jesus, for confirming that to me. Help me to be a more loving neighbor. What do I do? It says he desired to justify himself, which is to defend himself, to protect himself from the weight of that conviction. And so he asks a follow-up question to say, well, okay, but who's my neighbor? See, here's what this is saying. Sometimes we hear God's word to us. We hear God's word. And immediately our response is some sort of question to get out of obedience. So we hear God say, you must love someone just as much as you love yourself. And we say, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What's the loophole? How can I get out of this? We desire to justify ourselves, to say, I'm already okay. Don't pin me down. I'm okay. Maybe you have a friend or a spouse and they say to you, a friend might not say this, but maybe a roommate says, hey, you know, you haven't really been helping around the house very much. If it's just a friend, you go, I don't live here. Why would I do that, right? But if it's a spouse or a friend, then they say, hey, you haven't really been helping around the house that much. And the immediate response is, yes, I have. I've done this and I've done that. And I've done, that's that's the desire to justify yourself. To say, no, I am okay. It's any time we push back and say, I'm okay. See, this man is not asking a follow-up question to clarify, how can I become a more loving person? He's asking a follow-up question to say, no, I am okay, to justify myself. Who's my neighbor? See, it's limited. So here's the point. 
Jesus tells a story, and he's about to get into it, about how, how to be loving people. But in the very beginning, what we see is what keeps us from becoming the kinds of people that are loving people is a desire in our hearts to say, I'm already loving enough. I'm already loving enough. I'm already there. And we can ask all sorts of questions and all sorts of clarifications and pin somebody down. And if they're not Jesus, it might work to say, no, I'm already good. So what's the obstacle to our love? It's thinking we're already there. It's trying to wiggle out from the conviction. But second, Jesus shows us how to actually become, or rather, what, what love actually looks like. If we want to become loving people, we have to first see the obstacle, but then we also have to see what does it actually look like. And this is the part of the story that most people are familiar with. What does love actually look like? Because many of us, if you have been in the church for any period of time, you've heard the idea of love your neighbor. So what does that actually mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor? Or even, what does it mean to be a good Samaritan? Is it just to do random acts of kindness? What does love actually look like? And there's a few different parts to this story. And so here's, here's what Jesus says in response to the man justifying himself. And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. Now this road from Jerusalem to Jericho is, I mean, historically it's known as actually a very dangerous road. It would have passed through different treacherous points, and thieves and robbers, I don't, I don't know how they do it today, but they would hide in crevices, and they would hide in places because they can jump out and get you, Okay? So if you're ever in Jerusalem, watch out. So from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So, I mean, take the guy out, right? Take everything he has, beat him up, and they think he's going to die. It says, by chance. So we think, wow, this is good. This is, okay, he got lucky, right? And by chance, a priest, that's a good guy, that's a religious leader, that's a, someone that teaches the Bible and does all sorts of good things, right? Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite, Levites worked with the priests and did religious duties within the temple. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That was like a first aid kit. Then he sent him, set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, it's money, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. That's the end of the story. And then Jesus says this. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So what does love look like? And this story 
is the story Jesus tells in response to the man saying, trying to justify himself, trying to defend himself, trying to say, I'm already loving. Well, who is my neighbor? How much can I get away with? How much do I really have to love? How much do I really have to do? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. And so in this story, it tells us what love looks like three different ways that are very challenging to us. One is it tells us when we love. It tells us when we love. Because love often, or what we call love often, is done when it seems fitting for us. So, you know, the priest and the Levite, they would have uh, normally in their lives done all sorts of loving acts. They would have done all sorts of loving deeds. They would have done all sorts of loving types of things, right? That was part of their job description. It was part of their life as Levites and priests. But in this case, they're just walking by and they see this guy. And there's a lot of different, um, you know, people that say why they would have passed by him for different reasons. But the bottom line is this. They didn't do it because it was inconvenient. It wasn't in their time. It was an interruption to the the normal flow of what they were going about and doing. So if you would have looked at their life and said, have you ever done loving deeds? They would say, yes, of course I've done loving deeds. I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. Look at my list. And it's true. They would have. But this was an interruption. This wasn't something that they had planned. This wasn't something that was just a part of their the part of their flow. This was something that interrupted. This was something inconvenient. And Jesus says, "Let me tell you about love. Love happens when it's not even a part of your agenda. When it's not even a part of your goals, when it's not even a part of your plans, when it's when it wasn't on your to-do list. That's the kind of love that that Jesus is talking about. Love responds to what it sees. See, there's a lot of people that do loving things when it's in their schedule, when it fits them, when it, when it suits them. But Jesus says, look at this kind of love. This was a love that interrupted what was going on. The other two guys, they see the person and they say, well, you know, I don't have time for that or that's not on my list today, or I've got other things going on, or I just loved someone yesterday, or I just helped another guy beaten up a week ago, and I, I, don't, I can't really do this one now. And Jesus says, love happens when it's an interruption. And what, you know, it's really interesting, just I was looking at this story, and they, they crossed to the other side of the road. And I... I think, what would be going on that they would cross to the other side of the road? And I think there's even like a self-denial of, I didn't see it. I mean, you know you did, but they're, they're pretending, maybe to the guy, but, but what's he going to do about it? I mean, they're pretending even to themselves. I didn't see it. Keep going. Keep going, got something to do. Don't look, don't look, don't look. Just keep going. Get it out of my mind. Here we go. But love, Jesus says, is when we allow ourselves to be interrupted. It's not on our schedule. Now, this is, this is a very challenging thing to our independence. 
Because if you want to plan out your month and you want to plan out your schedule and you want to plan out your budget and say, here's how I will be loving, and then something comes up, Jesus says love interrupts. It messes with your independence. It messes with your agenda. That's the kind of love Jesus is talking about when he says that we are to love our neighbors. But it's not just when. It also shows us how much. See, a lot of times the way the Good Samaritan story is told and what, what we looked at from some of the headlines is it's kind of just these random act of kindness. It's usually this one-time thing where it's a nice act, it's a nice deed that somebody does for another person, right? Just kind of randomly pops up and sweet, here we go. But that's not what the story says. See, this was not just there was a guy that fall, fell down and he picked him up or something. It wasn't just a guy and he said, oh, it looks like you don't have a shirt. Let me give you a shirt. I mean, it, it, the Samaritan that helps this guy, it was a very costly love. I mean, first of all, he risked his life. Obviously, there's robbers around, right? So he risks his life to help this guy. I mean, let's say you're outside and you hear gunshots just going off like crazy. And then you see someone get shot. So one impulse could be get inside and call the cops, right? This guy runs outside and helps the guy. See, if you see a guy beaten and bloodied and half dead in your mind, you also should be thinking there's robbers out here. So he risks his life to help him. He puts him on his donkey, or I mean, it says his animal. What, I mean, I don't, maybe he had an elephant, but he puts him on his donkey or pet lion that he trained, okay? He puts him on his donkey and he walks. So cost him exercise or whatever, you know? Then he takes him to the inn and says, hey, pay for it. Take, however long this guy is going to be here. No, he's half dead, okay? Somebody that's beaten half dead today is going to have an expensive hospital bill, right? Be there for a while. So less medical technology, half dead. How long do you think it's going to take him to recover? Six months? And half dead is pretty dead, right? 50% to be precise. <laughs> So he says, hey, take care of him. And then here's the money. And any more money he mean, needs, just take, take care of it, and I'll come back later. So see, this isn't just an extra sauce on the Big Mac. It's not even, whoa, you pulled a guy out of his car? It's not just a random act of kindness. This is a very costly love. This is, I'm in it for the long haul also. See, that's another part of the story that we often miss. We usually look at the story and go, it was just a random thing. There we go. Hey, I, ch I helped you change your tire on the side of the road. But this is not, I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to love you for a long time. I'm going to be in it with you for the long haul. It's going to cost me money. It's gonna, it, might, it, might, it might cost me, I mean, it could cost me my life. And he doesn't even know the guy, Right? That's a lot different from how we normally hear the Good Samaritan story told, that it's a very costly 
love. So think about this. Jesus says, this is what neighbor love looks like. So for you, do you, yell, do you let your schedule be interrupted by love? Do you love people in a way that it costs you time, money, physical pain, resources? This is what's happening with this guy. See, a love that's a self-interested love, and by that I mean a love that kind of says, hey, I'll do this because it feels good. That kind of love a lot of times will do projects. It'll do some one-time thing. It'll do this thing over here. It'll, it'll everything we just saw on the, the news feed, it'll do all of that stuff. Because it's just this one-time thing on my timeline when I want to do it. With my assessment of how much it's going to cost, usually very little, it feels good to do a random act of kindness. Someone might even retweet it. That's a self-interested love, a love that just feels good, a love that's worthy to post on Facebook. But a love that says, this is going to cost me a lot, and I'm in it for the long haul. And I'm going to commit. That's what Jesus says. So, what does love look like? Well, it changes when we do it. changes how much we do it, the cost of it. And then it changes who. And this is, this is really the most profound part of the story. That doesn't show up in any of the examples that I gave in the, in the news feed. changes who it is that we love. changes who it is that we love. See, the Samaritan, I mean, the good Samaritan, that combination of words, it was unthinkable. Because Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. Samaritans were like a half-breed, quasi-Jew, quasi-pagan, worshipped in a different temple, different beliefs, different ideas, different blood. They, they were hated. Some Jews even woke up and we, we have these prayers recorded in history and it was a very common thing to pray, Lord, let there be no Samaritans in heaven. I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to pray that as a part of your daily prayers? So the only way to really get across that idea, and, it, and it's not even close, okay, because I don't know if, maybe there is for you, but we don't really culturally have something like that where there's a whole group of people that we just don't even like. But the closest thing to even think about that would be if the story was called the good Nazi or the good ISIS soldier. That's the closest thing. See, that's who Jesus makes out to be the hero. I mean, do you th think about how controversial a story it would be if it was called the good Nazi. I mean, that should even right now just make you cringe, right? Like, no, it couldn't be. But that's the story he told. So it was common in Jesus' day to tell stories where there was like two religious dudes and they messed up, but then a normal person shows up and does the right thing. That was kind of a common story structure. To be like, one religious guy, second religious guy, normal guy. But Jesus changes it because it's not just normal, everyday, average Jew that shows up. It's a Samaritan. 
I mean, that would have been <gasps> gasps in the audience. So what's his, what's his point? Because this is really the most, I mean, this is the most profound part of what does love look like. And his point is that real love, real love, neighbor love, the kind of love when Jesus says, let me, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me, let me tell you, it's, it's the person that interrupts your schedule. It's the person that you give everything to, that it costs you a lot, that you commit to. And it's the person that's way different from you. Way different from you. See, every, everybody, and Jesus teaches this in other places, and we know this, everybody loves people like them, right? I mean, that, that's not a Christian idea. That's not a Jesus idea. That doesn't take supernatural power Everybody loves people like them. Everybody. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I want to do today? I want to hang out with some people that are nothing like me. I want to hang out with some people that really get on my nerves today. That's what I want to do. Nobody does that. Everybody loves people like them. Everybody loves people of the same race or same economic status or same personality type. Everybody does that. Jesus teaches this in other places. But what's profound about this story is Jesus says, you know what neighbor love is? It's when you love the person that is so different from you. It's when you love the person that's so different from you that they're even an enemy, that they're even hated. You know what neighbor love is? It's the kind of love that says, I know no bounds. There's no boundaries to my love. It's not just my family it's not just my neighbors, it's not just my community, it's not just my city, it's not just my race, it's not just my, it's not just the people that I grew up with, it's not just the people that I have a similar vibe with, it's the Samaritan. What does love look like? Real, real love, Jesus says, loves the people that you have nothing in common with. Real love loves the people that not just you have nothing in common with, but actually you don't like naturally. That's real love. That's what real love is. So, is that the kind of love you have? I mean, do you have the kind of love where in your life there's people that you would say, these are my friends that are way different from you? The kind of love that, that brings people in and you're not, you're, your initial gauge isn't, ah, well, are they like me and do we have things in common? But it's just, no, just come on in. So here's what this story is supposed to do. And if it's, if it's having its effect, this is how you feel. The effect of the story is supposed to be, wow, that's what love your neighbor means? That's, that's what love your neighbor means? Because love your neighbor sounds really nice, right? I mean, that's, that's like Jesus at his best in, the, in just when people view Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus was this guy that taught love your neighbor. Man, that Jesus guy is so... But, so it sounds nice, but when you dig into what Jesus means by that, this story is supposed to have the effect of 
that's what love your neighbor means. It means let my schedule be interrupted. It means love where it cost me a lot of money and pain. And it means love. It means love people that are nothing like me. That's what love your neighbor means. See, this is a challenge to our passivity. It's a challenge to our independence. It's a challenge to the sense of justification that the lawyer had, that we have, that maybe is going on in some of your hearts right now. Which is, yeah, but who really is my neighbor? Do you see now why he asked that question? Okay, but but who is my neighbor? When would I really do that? How much would it really cost? How, well, what about this? Well, what about that? If you've got those questions, that's the impulse that was in that guy's heart. And said, I've got to justify myself. I can't stand the weight of it. The story is meant to crush us. The story is meant, I mean, if you don't feel crushed, you don't get the story. The story is meant to crush us. Because that kind of love is crazy. It's all-encompassing. It's not be a nice person. It's not do random acts of kindness. It's not give the t-shirt to the little girl at the baseball game. It's meant to crush us, to say, I need some help. If that's what God requires, if that's what God requires, I need help. Because I don't do that. Or you can say, I'm going to justify myself. See, that, the story shows us how to love. It does. It shows us how to love. But it also shows us that we don't love. So how can we love like this? How can we love like this? Because that's not, that's not supposed to be seen as easy. How do we become more loving people was the question that I originally posed. We have to first see that we're not loving people and that the greatest obstacle to our love is to try to justify ourselves and say we are. We have to see concretely how it is that we actually love, who it is, when it is, how much it is. But then we have to understand that we need help. Because here's, here's how Jesus tells the story. The guy asks him, the guy asks him the question, right? And says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That was the original question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus changes it at the end. See, at the end, he changes it and says this, who was a neighbor to that person? So instead of just what do I need to do, Jesus changes it to what kind of person do I need to become? Because the only way to love like that isn't to just have a new set of things that we need to know how to do. The only way to love like that is to become a different kind of person. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, it's not just what do you need to do. He says, who? Who was the neighbor? What kind of person loves like this? What kind of person And to become that kind of person, we have to read the story the way Jesus told it. So who's the lawyer in the story? 
Who are we in the story? We're, we're not the priest. We're not the Levite. And again, if he would have told the story, priest, Levite, good Jew, then it would have been, be like the good Jew. But who's, the, who's just the normal, everyday Jew in the story? It's the guy beaten up on the road, right? See, the point of the story is to change the perspective to we are the one beaten up on the side of the road. That's us. We're not the priest. We're not the Levite. We're not the Samaritan. We are the one beaten up on the side of the road. How so? Well, I mean, spiritually. Spiritually, we are in need of great mercy. We might not be physically beat up, left for dead, but spiritually, the Bible teaches, we are left for dead. We're hopeless. We're forgotten. We, we can't help ourselves. Like the man beaten up on the side of the road, we cannot help ourselves. And what does that man need? He needs mercy. And see, here's what happens. If, if you receive mercy from somebody that only owes you rejection. See, the Jewish person could not help himself beaten up on the side of the road. And the one that showed him mercy was a Samaritan who only owed him rejection. And Jesus is saying, if you see yourself as in absolute need of mercy from someone that only owes you rejection, only if you see yourself like that, Will your heart change? So do you see yourself like that? Do you see yourself as, I am spiritually helpless, without a hope, forgotten, discarded, thrown away. I need, I need somebody to help me that doesn't owe me anything. God. I need a savior. I need not just the good Samaritan, but the best Samaritan, Jesus. I mean, what if you were on the side of the road and everybody passed you over and the only person that showed you mercy was one that should be an enemy? That's what the Bible teaches our condition is with God. That we can't help ourselves, not just physically, but spiritually. I mean, so... Maybe you feel that even now because what, what Jesus said is, hey, let's all be really loving people. So loving that it knows no bounds of time, of energy, of cost, of person. But I said that was intended to crush us because it should produce in us a sense of, I am not like that. If that's what I need to do to have life, I'm, what hope do I have? I mean, if all you need to do to inherit eternal life is love God with every ounce of your being and love other people like this, if that's all you need to do, I mean, that should crush you. And you should feel like you're on the side of the road in need of help. You should feel like, I need mercy. Because if this is what God requires for me, I'm as good as dead. But so many of us try to wiggle out and justify ourselves. 
and then in the end don't actually become loving because we, we don't experience his love and his grace as a better Samaritan that reaches down to us and says, I'll love you. I won't pass you by. Even if everybody else passes you by, I won't pass you by. Even if everyone else discards you, even if everyone else leaves you for dead, spiritually or otherwise, I won't. Not because I've earned it, deserved it. Be the Jew couldn't cry out from the ground and say, help me, I'm good, just like you. Samaritan would have hated him, he would have hated him. But he said, no. Not, so, I mean, here's what Jesus did, right? Jesus, we, we were, Jesus fulfills all of this. Jesus didn't just cross the road to us. He came down, didn't just get off his donkey. He got off his throne and came to us. And Jesus, Jesus didn't just love someone of a different race. He loved us, which the Bible says are spiritual enemies to him that live our lives, building our lives on other things instead of him, that don't love him. Jesus came after us like that. And Jesus didn't just pay a big sum of money for us to stay at a hospital for six months. Jesus didn't just risk his life. He literally gave everything, right? He gave his life. He went to the cross to save us. So Jesus is saying, when you receive this kind of mercy... That changes you to be the, become the kind of person that shows that mercy. When you receive this, when you know you've received this kind of love, that's what makes it so you can love people. So do you see that you've received that kind of love from Jesus? Do you see that you're not loving? I mean, do you see that? If Jesus says, this is what it means to love your neighbor, do you read that and go, yeah, that's how I am? Because if you do, you're missing it. Because I know, I mean, when I read this story, I go, man, that's not me. And then I feel like, okay, so I gotta be more like that. And that's okay, but, but that's not the starting place. The starting place is to go, I am not like that. God, I need mercy I need mercy. If that's what love looks like, I need mercy because I'm not loving like that. And then I don't deserve anything, but God says, I love you and I give you grace. And yeah, you're not loving like that, but I come and I bind up your wounds and I heal you and I love you and I pay the cost for you to be okay. And I go, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you that you would love me like that. And then that changes my heart to want to be loving like that. Do you see? But if you don't, if you, if you hear Jesus' story and you feel the weight of it and go, no, I am like that. I am, no, and ask more questions to justify yourself, then you're left exactly where that guy was. So tonight when we take communion, if you're a Christian, we take communion to remember this. We take communion to remember Jesus paid the cost for us. That he loved us so much that though we were going to die spiritually, apart from God forever, that though we are not loving, he still loves us. 
he still gives us grace. That's how much he loves us. So here's how you should not end tonight. You should not end going, man, I feel so guilty. You should end going, Jesus, I need your mercy and I need your grace. And then go, thank you that you gave me mercy and grace. Because Jesus tells the story to drive us to him to receive mercy. So will you run to him for mercy and receive it and go, thank you for how much you've loved me. Thank you for how much you gave me grace when I don't deserve it. And the more you see that, the more then you become a loving kind of person, which is what we all desire. But that's the path to it. So let's take communion and remember that Jesus is a much better Samaritan than that Samaritan. He's the one that gave everything to bring us back to life. Okay, let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that though we are the person on the side of the road, forgotten, hopeless, desperate, weak, discarded, that we can't help ourselves, that we are broken and bloodied and God, spiritually, spiritually we are those that are half dead without you. And God, I I know that um, sometimes it's really hard to see the reality of your love. And, And I pray that the story would help us the story would help us to see an illustration, a picture of what your love is like to us. Help us to see that more clearly tonight. God, thank you that though we are so unloving, that though we do not love our neighbors as ourselves, that you still love us. That you give us two great commands, love you with all your heart and love other people, and we don't do either of them. But God, you love us still. Everything required of us, we don't do. But you love us still. That's grace. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you love us so dearly. I pray you would make that a clear reality in every heart and that we would all leave with a deeper sense, a greater sense of how much you've loved us. And that that would change us to then be a loving community to one another. In your name, Jesus.